Hey, everybody. Welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast, where we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authenticity in storytelling. United Voice Oklahoma is a podcast about the power of healthy dialogues uh, on race relations. Every episode will hopefully help you identify common obstacles to those healthy conversations and give you the confidence that you need to invest in authentic relationships outside of your race or comfort zone. I'm Cece Jones Davis. I'm Waylon Cubitt, and we are so thankful that you are here listening to this podcast today. Uh, If this is your first time joining us, you need to make sure you go back and check out some of the previous episodes. There are some dynamic conversations, some dynamic people, dynamic leaders in our state and uh, in our city that you just have to listen to. Uh, Whether you're out mowing the lawn or just out uh, dropping the kids off, whatever, this is something you want to tune into and you want to share with all your friends and families. There is definitely going to be some benefit and some learning that happens during today's conversation. This week on our podcast, in the room with us today, we are so happy to have Kim Friedemann. Hey, Kim. Hello. We so, are so, so glad to have you. Kim, we're going to learn a lot about you, but what we do know is that you live in Norman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you run a consulting business and you work hard to help others engage in the race conversation through Know Your Neighbor and gatherings that, that you host. And we want to learn so much more about that. Uh Tell us a little bit. Can I give a little disclaimer first? You can. She's going to be your friend. I know. No. (laughs) Well, I'll share. See, I'm I'm a sharer, people. I'll share with Waylon. She's our friend. Um, But yeah, we're so happy to have you. But I I do want to give a disclaimer. This is going to probably be a very Jesus-y conversation. So um, I don't know where folks are out there on faith and your faith. I mean, we talk, we do talk about God on this podcast, but I have a feeling because I know Kim, uh, we're going to be pretty Jesus-y, very much like very creamy macaroni and cheese. (laughs) So, um, you know, just FYI. It's going to be Jesus. That's just who she is. That's That's just who she is. Jesus, Jesus, and precious Jesus. We love him. Okay, (laughs) so go ahead. Right. That's good. But No, it's your turn, Kim. I want you to kind of introduce us to yourself, who you are, where you come from, how did you get to be the Kim that we know today? Yeah. That's a wonderful question. I will say that my ministry is, or my calling, or my events are primarily targeted at including the church. So, right, but I want to go before that. Like, where'd you grow up? Yeah, like, background. The background. Yeah. I grew up in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, we moved there in 1972. Conveniently, that year is an interesting year. Shortly after busing started, okay. or right okay. before, right around there. Yeah. So we moved to Norman, and I grew up in the classic suburban lifestyle. We. We really didn't have any African Americans at my school. Where'd you move from? Oklahoma City. Oh, Oklahoma. Oh, you went from Oklahoma City. So you grew up in Oklahoma City. Yes. Okay. Well, no, no. I grew up. I moved at age five oh, to five. Norma, okay. which all that kind of belies my age. Gotcha. Oh, okay. But um, I, I would say that we fall in the category of classic white flight. Uh-huh. I mean, I would say that my dad wanted to move to the country and into the suburbs right around 1972. So. Okay. Well, did he make that clear why they were moving? Or did you oh, just heavens no. That? I figured that or? out retrospectively, okay. yes. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up there and graduated from Norman High. Um, we just had a, like a few African Americans. I didn't know that... Um, Norman was still a sundowner town till 1975. Okay, some folks might not know what a sundowner downer town is. Tell them. Um, well, 
African Americans weren't allowed to spend the night there or sleep there, so they had to leave at sundown. Okay. And I realize now, looking back, that you know, I, I knew a couple of precious African Americans. They were believers. Um, he was homecoming prince. Everybody loved Tony, basketball star. I mean, they're precious, confident, amazing people. He's a physician now in Oklahoma City. Um, but I didn't realize what they must have come up against moving and living in Norman, Oklahoma at Norman High School several years after it had become um, no longer a sundown, sundown mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you all, uh, so you went to high school with just kind of a couple of black. Tell me, um, what was the race dynamic in your family? Did you, were you all a family that like talked about race at all, or do you remember you remember any of that? Oh no, heavens no, okay. we never talked about race. My dad, um, rest his soul, probably had was very prejudiced. Uh-huh. What clues? What clues did you have to tell you that? Looking back. Um, referring to people by certain names uh-huh. right. that are absolutely unacceptable now. The N word. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To be specific. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it really didn't come up for the most part. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went on to OU and I graduated from OU, still kind of in my bubble. And after OU, I, I moved to Houston, Texas, which is the, where I really had my first run in with black culture. Uh huh. And what was that like for you? Well, it was awesome. I was at a church that was multicultural. It was third white, a third black, and a third Hispanic. Huh. And it was glorious. Huh. And I had that was my first education. I joined a band. Um, I'm a worship leader. I, I play keyboards. And two of the people on our team were black, two of them were white, and two of them were Hispanic. So we really got to know they were my first good friends yeah. that mm-hmm. I really knew. So that introduced me to the culture. I moved back to Oklahoma a few, few years later. And I was looking around going, what is so different at this church? It sounds weird. What is it? And I realized, oh, they're all white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. Mm-hmm. So it was different down there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim, there's so many amazing things about you. Um, as a preliminary, let's also say, what, what, it, what do you do? Tell us a little bit about your business, your consultant. My husband and I have a consulting business called Focal Point Consulting. He does training. I do medical stuff. Um, It also includes Focal Point Music, which encompasses our music endeavors as well. Very cool. Very cool. And all right, so let's let's get into this. You, I don't think we can really. So Kim, you started a um, an event called Know Your Neighbor. And we want to know how that came about. But there were some things that happened before Know Your Neighbor. And I personally know, and I think it's really interesting about you, that you drive from Norman on Sundays to Oklahoma City to go to a church on the northeast side Mm -hmm. called Secret Place. Mm Mm-hmm. It's about a 40-minute drive, 45 minutes? It's actually only 25 minutes. Really? You found a secret little spot. Oh, well, we're Are right on the highway or, now. Okay, <laughs> right, okay, No, right. no, sir, no. Yeah. Okay, so, so you, you drive from Norman to Oklahoma City to go to a church called Secret Place on the northeast side that is predominantly African-American, right? Correct, correct. Tell me about that. Tell me about how you got to that church. Wow, that is a wonderful question. It is with uh, Bishop Ilinda Jackson. She's amazing, phenomenal person. I started um, at the Abbey of the Promised Land, 
which is a monastery that was that was intended to be a multicultural unity place for unity where the body of Christ can come together. And I thought, well, if we have any black pastors, we need to play some of that music. So I started learning black gospel music just in case anybody came because it's a different music lexicon. Mm-hmm. So I started learning that and a guy named Bob Davis came and asked me to play piano for him his for his ministry with his he and his daughters it was very difficult it's very difficult i just want to say that african-american gospel music is difficult to play it is <laughs> awesome and it is rich beyond belief but it was very hard but i played for him um and then i played for Linda jackson when they were out there at the abbey visiting and ministering okay from there um, god actually moved me to secret place because they didn't have a piano player i mean he actually i was guest piano playing and I loved it, um, so they asked me to stay. And so I asked my husband, who was raised Lutheran, uh, I said, they're asking me to play piano. Do you want to go to Secret Place? And he was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. It's kind of too, a little bit too Be- because long. Because this, yeah. pe- this is a black Pentecostal church, <laughs> Yeah, right? okay. It's a little bit too loud for him. He was like, I just don't know. And I said, well, just ask God. Pray about it. Well, I just can't turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. But he asked God on the way to Dallas, and he said, God, you don't want us to go to secret place, do you? And he said that the Lord immediately in his heart said, well, of course. (laughs) And I'm glad it was that clear because it hasn't been without challenges. Mm -hmm. But overall, it's been a glorious and wonderful experience. Mm, How long have you been there? About a year and a half. Oh, about a year and a half. And it's really funny, you um, talking about how difficult African-American music is. How do you feel like you've adjusted to learning and playing gospel music? (laughs) I've gotten better. I have gotten a lot better. I just listen to it all the time. My ear got used to it. And mm-hmm. I've consulted uh, Adam Ledbetter and the likes of him, Chris Williams. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just take coaching from wherever I can right. get it. In fact, right. that's how I met you, Cece. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Is. You were leading music in Norman with yep. Chris Williams. And I was like, oh, maybe yep. he can show me some stuff on piano. And I just cornered them. And I'm sure they thought I was just... <laughs> you sure did. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, so. I remember, so it's getting easier for you. Oh, Which, yeah. Do you have a favorite gospel song? I like Lion of Judah. You, okay. Oh. <laughs> hell, hell, Lion of Judah. Not that one. Is no, it it's by one? Eddie James. Uh, Lion of Judah, Lion of Judah. Okay. I asked you to learn it for my next concert, oh, remember? God. You got okay. to back up on it. All right, I'll learn it. Y'all got some work to do. Yeah. Um, I'll help you, Cece. Well, okay, help me along. Nobody's going to ask me to sing. Help me along. Okay, so so you've been there for a year and a half, mm-hmm. and what have some of the like the challenges been to being in a predominantly black church for you? Well, it goes a little bit longer than what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. There's the service. There's a yeah, the service. So, and I might sit at the piano for two hours. So mm-hmm. that's I mean I just had to get kind of my stamina up, but it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a re- in, in this particular church, and there's all kinds of African-American subcultures within the church, but it, at our church in this stream, there's very loose end times. So we, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to church till 2.30 in the afternoon. So that's very different. And my husband, who's German, who really likes structure and start and stop times, that's a, that was hard for him to adjust mm-hmm. to. How's he doing with that now? Fine. Coming along. He's coming along. I mean, sometimes he just like, 
to go. But he sometimes he go. leaves early. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, it's been a lifetime, and and I ain't used to it, so I wouldn't yeah, rush him on that. You yeah, know? me either. Right, right. Me, I'm a, I'm from the black church. Right, yeah, so right. we gotta wrap this it's up. It's time to go. Yeah, it's time to go. Right. I get it. I get it. So, um, how did? Tell me how being a part of that church kind of helped uh, evolve your your thinking on race. Well, I really got to know people that are very culturally black, which is, you know, I've there's a lot of people that say, yeah, I know some black people and they're super they're super nice, they're wonderful, but they're kind of either culturally white or kind of can go both ways. I mean, they present a little bit and when you say culturally black, let me let me help try to define that. Thank I, you. I think. So mm-hmm. when you say culturally black, meaning they've taken on all the things that are traditional in the black community. Uh, I would say mostly language is what I'm talking and, about. And language even language, yeah. like dialect. Uh, mm-hmm. Dialect. Terms, terminology. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the people that go the other way, you would say they can... Code switch, or they, they can, can take. The, they can bilingual, use, racially they can bilingual. bilingual. Yeah. They're racially bilingual. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. All right. Gotcha. So let's gotcha. go. Go ahead. Um, my first band practice, where I was the only white person, I I would just remember thinking, "Wow, they sound different." It was awesome. I was just like, "Oh, I felt like I was accepted." I thought they're really letting me see their every side of them, mm-hmm. and that was super, super exciting and. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Right. Did, it, did the language, now this is a, I know it's probably not, didn't happen in the in the church, but I got to ask, did the language at any time it uh, feel threatening, like trying to be, trying to discern whether or not that was nice or friendly or was that, were they upset, <laughs> were they mad, any of that? Not really. There is no, I never seemed threatened or anything like that. They've been very patient with me. I have some really good friends that are like, well, now what they mean by that is this. <laughs> right. So you've been ushered in. I've been ushered in with okay. some very patient and kind, That's loving good. people. That's Were you good. afraid? Because <laughs> no. I, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to tell you why I'm asking. Because, you know, it's, I know a lot of um, white folks, I've got a lot of white friends who would say they don't feel comfortable going to a black neighborhood. You know, and this church is in that neighborhood. Yeah, and oh. so a black neighborhood represents for a lot of people crime or you know all sorts of things, the dark side. You know, for whatever reason, for a lot of people, you were when you just when you felt God called you to a church on the northeast side in a in a uh, predominantly black area. Were you scared? Well, I mean, here's one story that I'll tell you about that. There was a couple of times when it was like, oh, this is an evening event. I don't know if I'm, you know, we weren't really part of the church. We were just visiting Mm -hmm. at that point. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't know if I want to drive over there at night. Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of that. And I remember there's an early morning prayer service at 6 a.m., five days a week. And I would go to that. And I'd park my car on the side because I didn't want anybody to door ding me. Because now I've gotten over my, you know, my reservations. I'm like, it's perfectly fine. I'm totally confident. I can't believe that I was scared. Mm-hmm. And then my friend Rhonda came over to me and said, uh, Sister Kim, you better not park your car over there in the dark. You need to park it in the front where all the lights are so it doesn't get hurt or damaged or stolen. And I was like, oh. <laughs> So there does need to be some reasonable some awareness, right? <laughs> right? Right. Okay. What motivates in your relationships that you you formed in there? Well, the challenges we talked about, 
but you've kind of formulated this idea to take further action when it comes to the race Mm -hmm. conversation. Why and what's that action? What is the first step? Are you speaking of my concerts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How'd you get there? Well, I, I was eased into it somewhat, and I started reading books like We Were Eight Years in Power and The New Jim Crow. Um, if we can back up just a little bit, my daughters, and just to be honest, okay, four years, it's just like four years ago, mm-hmm. my daughters were sitting in the kitchen with me, and they said, well, you know that mass incarceration is a type of racism, and then it's like a new Jim Crow. And I thought to myself, what kind of liberal oh, that's, agenda yeah. are they yeah. teaching in Norman High School now? Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm ashamed of it now. I'm it's just okay. telling you. Yeah. Right. That's what I thought. And I said, no, you guys, you're being silly. They're like, no, Mom, I'm serious. This is really serious. This is real. And I was like, hmm. And it made me think. Okay. How old were they? Uh, they were in high school. High school. Okay. So senior and uh, uh, sophomore. Mm. Okay. Yeah, at Norman High, which is actually pretty progressive. I mean, they really do a pretty good job of, of educating the kids. But so I, I picked up a couple of books on my friend's recommendation. So I was in intellectually and emotionally on board with the race issue. I was like, oh, wow, that's really real. Hmm. Okay. All right. So I was on board that way. But when I was at Secret Place, one of my friends, one of my white friends, she had a son who was extremely intoxicated on drugs and alcohol. And he was at a concert, and this off-duty police officer took him back and called his mom. Instead of calling the police or booking him or searching him or patting him down, he just called his mom. This and is a white friend? This is a white friend. And the white mom was saying, isn't that horrible? And I said, oh, no, that's a victory. He didn't get in the car and kill anybody. You know, he, no, he didn't get a public intoxication. This is wonderful. What a kind policeman to do that for you. And it, the minute the thought hit me that if that had been an African-American, if he had been treated, I wondered if he had been treated differently, mm-hmm. if he was African-American. Mm-hmm. And the minute that thought hit me, I felt this wave of sorrow. And I felt like God showed me his heart concerning the inequality with African Americans, Mm -hmm. especially in the era of criminal justice. I I have heard the phrase, God break my heart with the things that break yours. Mm -hmm. But he's really heartbroken. Mm It was more than I could bear. It was excruciating. I started crying. I mean, I'm not a crier. I really am not a crier. I, I was absolutely undone to the point I couldn't even function. I, I had a racking sob, and it was just like all the indignities, all the inequality, all of the injustice that has occurred. The Lord let me see how he felt about it, and he felt quite strong. I cried for hours. And this would have been four years from, mm, yes, from, four the, years from, from reading that, that book? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Four years from suburban, don't know anything, to crying my eyes out hmm. because I knew God's heart on the matter. Hmm. So that was a huge aha moment. Mm-hmm. I had to finally just stop thinking about it because if I thought about it, I couldn't function. And then it ha- the thing happened again. The same occurrence happened again. We were praying for um, lawlessness against lawlessness in Oklahoma City that somebody had been murdered. And my church was praying for for this issue of lawlessness. 
and it hit me again and I couldn't stop crying, racking, embarrassing, racking sobs, y'all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, thank you for showing me your heart, God. I mean, you really feel strongly. This is important. I'm like, but I didn't know what he wanted me to do with it. He just showed me his heart. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, I was changed. I was changed. I was undone, never to be the same. <laughs> right, right, right. And so what does the change look like? So you what went you from, doing? yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> you prayed, you got off the knees in action time. What does it, it look like now? Well, I started meeting all these criminal justice people. God opened door after door after door. I went to the uh, Capitol and lobbied for criminal justice reform and um, spent hours just wanting for just equality, really. And not only just the arrest, I was moved by the by the incarceration rate in Oklahoma, the how punitive the damn the the sentencing is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just I'm threw myself into changing all that as best I could and using my voice to do just that. So tell us specifically about Know Your Neighbor. What is it? What does it look like? Well, interestingly... And the purpose. Yes. Well, Jamie Hill called... I mean, Jamie Smith called me and said, um, can you do this worship gig? And I said, well, actually, I don't have time. I'm doing this whole racial healing thing. So I don't have time. And she said, you're kidding. I want to meet with you. I want you to meet my husband. I want to go to lunch with you. So Jamie and I met realized that they are on the same track. Another girl named Mar- Marcy Priest, who's mm-hmm. also a worship leader, she was on the same track. Two Edmund people, a Norman people, all on the same track without knowing each other. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of my concert is called Know Your Neighbor. And I, I asked Jamie and Marcy, I said, well, you guys want to do a house concert? And they're like, I'm in. And I, my idea was to know your neighbor, which is how do you love your neighbor if you don't know them? Right. So, I mean, I'm thinking of myself four years before where I think new Jim Crow is a myth. And I'm like, there's other people like me, Mm well-meaning suburban, age 35 to 60, maybe Mm -hmm. well-meaning suburban folks that would if they knew some of my friends or if they knew the situation, I felt like God would open their eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. So we did a. I wanted to invite my friends from Secret Place and other people from around the community to share their stories. And, and, and mm-hmm. so, um, know your neighbor are house concerts mm-hmm. that are intertwined with narratives, stories. Mm-hmm. I know you've got one coming up September thirtieth. Mm-hmm. How um, how is the response been? How do you get people there? And how many people are gathering at one time? And this is at your house. No, I I do. I'm circling the suburbs. Okay, circling the suburbs. Yeah, I don't. My living room isn't big enough to hold to hold all of them, but Mm -hmm. they run around fifty to sixty people. Wow, we pack them in, and we just have people with that have large houses with large living rooms. Mm -hmm. That yeah, and they've sold out every time. In fact, my concert September thirtieth has sold out. I'm I'm really looking forward to your event on September thirtieth. Know your neighbor. I'm going to be um, speaking and singing. And who else is going to be there? Is it Jamie? Jamie's coming. Jamie. It really, uh, Linda Jackson and Jamie are kind of my two core people. Those are my, yeah. the three of us are the core ingredients. Okay. And then on top of that, we invite other people and other gotcha. worship leaders. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. And what has been, what has been the fruit of that? What are people saying? What are they saying? What's happening? Well, it's been wonderful. The response has been mostly wonderful. Um, 
I had one lady, a friend of mine, who was really moved to tears when she heard some of the stories. And she cried through the whole event, went home and cried some more, woke up the next morning, cried some more. Now, I don't want to say that my event causes people to cry all the time. (laughs) But in her case, she was moved similarly to me in that she was affected and realized um, what was going on in another culture that she just wasn't aware of and was just her heart was moved. So that's really our goal is for God to open their eyes and he does all the heavy heavy lifting. Yeah. She ended up hosting my next concert. And then I had another lady at my first concert that saw that the transitional ministry, which I, I Linda Jackson runs, needed a van. And she saw that need for a van. And then she heard him talking about this van they wanted to buy for $3,000. And she thought, what kind of van can you buy for $3,000? So she right. went and bought a 15-passenger van and donated it to the transitional wow. house. Wow. wow. Yeah, um, and it's not just monetary. People, I feel like people have been moved, which into is really action. into action. Yeah, right. yeah, that's incredible. That's a big action. Kim, that's I got to ask action. you, how is it possible? We've asked previous guests this question, so this is not the first time. But how is it possible to be racially oblivious in 2019? <laughs> Well, I was racially oblivious way back in 2015, so that was a long time ago. Um, just kidding. I'm just referring to my four years ago. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I, yes. I'll i because they're, um, I call it spir- spiritual macular degeneration. There's a quick story. Um, when I, I'm an ultrasound tech, I do medical ultrasound. That's part of my skill set, my wheelhouse. And I used to pray. I wanted to pray for people with blind eyes. I wanted blind eyes to be open, just to, like, to be healed. And then I thought, wait, I don't think I have enough faith to pray for actually someone that's blind. But I would have enough faith to pray for macular degeneration. And you know what? I promised God that I would pray for every person that came across my office that had macular degeneration. And I'm telling you, they came out of the woodwork. I mean, the very next morning, this, la- this lady came to my office, and I said, how are you, Miss Smith? And she said, well, I'm fine, except for this macular degeneration. Mm-hmm. I prayed for her. She had lots of tears, um, but not any healing, which is fine. But I mean, I'm telling you, I've prayed for countless, countless 70, 80, 90-year-olds with macular degeneration. It's a disease that primarily affects um, Caucasian population, and it's when the center part of your vision is blocked. You can see the outside. And God showed me that when I looked at Oklahoma City, that, you know, I, would, I could see Mustang and Edmond and Norman, but there was a blind spot there in northeast Oklahoma City mm-hmm. that I didn't see. And he told me, he said, Kim, you are still praying for people with macular degeneration, mm-hmm. spiritual macular degeneration to be healed because they can't see what's right in front of them. And wow. I, had, I have this question for you. If someone really is actually blind, like if they really do have macular degeneration and they can't see, would you be mad at them? Hmm. I mean, yeah. Can you be mad at them if they're genuinely blind? I'm just speaking to the portion of the population. I mean, you would say maybe, I mean, people on the other side would argue maybe I was shutting my eyes or turning a blind eye. Mm But mostly I was just ignorant and unaware. I'm ashamed of it. But Yeah, so it's, it's curious. So I was just in mm-hmm. a, uh, a presentation uh, by, by a group that 
that talks about blindness. And, and they said one of the things they were educating the group on is that when people say they're blind, there is very few people that are in complete darkness. True. There is very few people that are in complete darkness. True. Most of them have some impairment, like they can see. But some of them, they have to get close enough to the object to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Proximity. They have to touch it. They have yes. to feel it to be able to tell you what it is. And so what I'm hearing you describe is that this issue is not without complete blindness. If you get right. close enough to it, correct? Right. you can see it, you can identify it, and you can navigate your way around it and through it. That's beautiful. That is. That's really that's, beautiful. That's an uh, amazing metaphor. Um, have you gotten... Um, Feedback about your events, know your neighbor, because let let me make sure that our audience knows the purpose really well. The purpose, as I understand, know your neighbor is to really um, raise an awareness within suburban communities about what goes on in the lives of African-American or people of colors of people of color. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Um, Have you gotten any pushback? Have you... Uh, Have you been challenged by uh, folks who don't understand what you're doing or who don't like what you're doing? Well, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, um, one of our speakers brought up up Trayvon, Mm -hmm. and that had a little bit of pushback. Mm -hmm. I had two or three people say that that felt a little political, Um, some of my white friends. But some of my black friends said, you need to talk about Trayvon every single time. Mm -hmm. So there was a dichotomy there, and Mm -hmm. so that was a little interesting. Yeah. How do you how do you talk to them privately? How do you talk to those white people? What's your answer? I would say I think what I answered was that don't let that derail you. Don't let, let that distract you. Listen to the stories and the hearts of the people. Don't get distracted by don't let that one issue keep you from really entering into relationship. Mm-hmm. Um for those who need to uh, may may not know the story, but Trayvon Martin was the young African American boy. I don't know, fourteen or something. Oh, I can't remember the age. Yeah, I can't remember the age, but a young teenager. young teenager. Um, I believe he was in Florida who uh, got shot and killed by um, Mar- uh, Mark uh, George Zimmerman. 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 Yeah. Um, he was just kind of walking down a sidewalk with a hoodie on and had some a uh, gla- uh, can of tea and some skittles and was thought to be a threat to the neighborhood um and so there was a lot of racial tension and uh, uprising when not only he got shot but then um George Zimmerman was acquitted of of that crime uh and you know in terms of being political, I know that the Trayvon Martin story was what woke me up personally. For me, Trayvon Martin was my generation's Emmett Till. Yes. And um, Trayvon Martin, has his story has been very um, inspiring for me and the, the work that I do around racial conciliation. Um, and I never understand what people mean or talk about when they say things like that are political. And I think I don't understand because being an African-American person, living in my skin and looking through my lens and being a Christian, um, I, I understand that my community cannot escape from the political conversation. 
You know what I mean? Like it's all, it's all together. And so, and so to engage with us, and I'll just put this out there for everybody to engage with us is to engage in, in political theory. That's good. And you can't get around it because everything about, about how we live. There's been no progress in this issue without politics. Correct. Right. Yeah. We can't, we haven't been able to move, maneuver toward any form of uh, equality or equity without policy. I totally agree. I have never been involved in politics. Right. And then I found myself at the Capitol lobbying. Because it's inseparable. I realize that now. Yeah. Yeah. It's married together. It's yeah, married together. It, it, it is. Uh, what's, what, how many of these uh, know your neighbors? Do you have a, like an amount you're trying to do or how often are you trying to do them? How, how do people get involved? Well, my theory is to just do one at a time. So there's not a long-term plan as long as they remain successful and someone says, oh, you can use my house. Yeah. And it just seems to have been falling into place. Really, ever since my encounter with God about how he showed me his heart for this culture and the richness and the beauty and the just coolness of this culture and this people, since he showed me his heart, all the doors have flown open. I haven't really put a whole lot of effort into it. So everything, every, there's no promises. Okay. But I'm, I'm hoping there'll be more. Do people, how do they find out about it? Do they follow you on Facebook to know when the next one is? How do they, you know, how do they get connected so they'll know when the next ones are? You can find us on Facebook um, under Know Your Neighbor. And you can find me, Kim Friedemann, also. And friend me, I'll friend you. Okay. And Kim, you spell it K-I-M-M, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And freedom in with two N's. Two N's. But mo- for the most part, it's people just word of mouth. I'll send them the event bride invitation just texting, mm-hmm. and I'll ask them to invite friends. Mm-hmm. We had one person come when we had the thing in Deer Creek, and she saw my friend Catherine. She sent the invitation to everybody in, on her neighborhood Facebook page. Well, her next-door neighbors were nor, new to the neighborhood. So they saw that. They thought it was a know-your-neighbor, like their neighborhood concert. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. she and her husband come, and her husband's like, I don't think this is... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, getting imagine to Imagine the shock. Yeah, yeah. It was, he was shocked. The guy left early, but she was really deeply ministered to, and... It was life-changing for her, so everything happens for a reason. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Well, we'll be keeping up with uh, Know Your Neighbor. I hope to attend one. I don't know if I'll be at the 30th okay, or not, but I hope to attend one. Yeah, right. they're great. I've been. They are phenomenal. I'm so proud of you. I just, I know it's a brave work, and I'm so proud of you. Um, before we close, I want to know what your family thinks about all this. Your family and your friends think about your work. For the most part, they're supportive. I've seen lots of eyes open. I have a lot of I have a handful of friends that are baby boomers that they were a little tougher nuts to crack. Mm-hmm. But even in that arena, they're like, "Wow, Kim, I've been reading your posts and I, the articles that you tell me to read, I read." And um, I've seen them coming around. It's really interesting. It's wonderful. That's amazing. And Wayland, I do want to say I hope you get to speak at one of my concerts. Oh, you just called me out. Yeah. <laughs> Can't <laughs> right. say no now. <laughs> That's right. So uh, the post, the things that you post, like what should uh, our listeners read today? 
A Case for Reparations is a wonderful place to start. You can just Google that. Honey, that's deep. You talk about starting. Well, <laughs> a Case for Reparations. Yeah, to me, it was very illuminating. It was like, oh, wow, the whole backstory of, of redlining and the, yeah. uh, the loan industry, all of that. Um, I thought that was that was pivotal for me. Yeah. Kind of no, no, yeah. Uh, amazing. But like, that's deep water. That's, that's all I'm saying. Like, that's, that's deep water. Lighter right there. Reading. Right. It's hard to understand. And if they, and if they think Trayvon Martin's political, oh yeah, my goodness, this my is going to be. Goodness. That's tough reading. But I thank you for the suggestion. Mm-hmm. Right. You want to close this? Yeah. Kim, thank you for the work that you do, thank for you the so heart much. That, that pushes you to do it. We, um, we just want to bless everything that, that you do going forward and know that we're here rooting you on. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so everybody, hey y'all, thank you so much for listening to us today here at United Voice Oklahoma Podcast. We're just here trying to find common ground for the common good. So thank you for joining us and have a great day. Thanks, Kim.